0: The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Teatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz So this morning we're on uh, part three of our four-part journey as Abraham's servant. uh, goes back to Abraham's previous location where his family still are to seek out a bride for Isaac, his son. Week one, the servant is sent out to find a bride, and he encounters her at a well outside of the town where Abraham's relatives now live. When he asks her for a drink, you'll remember that she offers some water for him and for his ten camels, exactly the sign that the servant of God, or the servant of Abraham, had asked for. He then asks her name, and with that the name of her family, and the success of his search is confirmed, for this is Rebecca, the daughter of Bethuel, granddaughter of Abraham's brother Nahor. Then last week the servant was welcomed as a member of the family, and he shares the story of and the reason for this journey that he has undertaken, and he shares the story with Rebecca's father Bethuel. And Rebecca's brother Laban, and so this morning we pick up the story in verse 50. Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord, we can say nothing. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah, take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewellery and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. And he also gave costly gifts to her brother and her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up in the morning, he said, uh, send me on my way to my master. But her brother and mother replied, well, let the young woman remain with us for days or so then you may go but he said to them do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success on my journey send me on my way so that I may go to my master and they said let's call the young woman and ask her about it so they called Rebecca and asked her will you go with this man I will go she said So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men and they blessed Rebecca and said to her our sister may you increase to thousands upon thousands may your offspring possess the cities of their enemies then Rebecca and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man so the servant took Rebecca and left it's a fascinating story And we so often read it and go, we've heard that before, read it many times. But just for a moment, let's take God out of the story. Take God out of the story for a moment. And let's retell the story from the perspective, not of the servant, but of Rebecca and Bethuel and Laban. So it's late afternoon, the sun's going down, it's a little bit cooler. It's the time of the day when the young woman of the village will go out to draw water. And so Rebecca goes out with the other young woman of the town to gather water from the local well. Rebecca is a very beautiful single young woman. And as she arrives at the well, a man is sitting there. He has ten camels with him. He then asks for a drink. Having been raised well, having a good heart and not being afraid of a little bit of hard work, she draws around one to 2,000 litres of water for the camels and obviously a little bit for the servant. And the man responds, this is great, that's exactly the sign I've been asking God for. It's like, that's kind of weird. Who is this guy? I've only just met him. And he says, well, I'm the servant of your great-uncle Abraham, your granddad's brother, who no one in your family has heard from for about 50 or 60 years. No one's seen anything of him for that time. And I want you to leave your family, and I want you to come with me so that you can marry his son Isaac. Think about it. The only evidence that this servant actually knows Abraham personally is his own word. There's no other evidence that we're told of in the story. And we only have the servant's word for it that Abraham actually is wealthy and has a son. And we only have his word for it. Think about it. He said, this is the sign I was looking for. How does she know that? Again, she's only got the servant's word for it. After all, we're told that he was praying it in his heart. He wasn't out there praying out loud that God you would give him. It's like, he says, oh, that was the sign I was looking for. How easy would that be? You're sitting by the well. You see this nice young lady coming out, and you go, I'll ask you for a drink. and Whatever she does, I'll say, that was the sign I was looking for. When asked about that possibility with someone this week, they said, well, maybe people were more trustworthy back in those days. Maybe they didn't lie as often. I thought, no, no, this story's about Abraham. And we know how regularly Abraham lied and asked his wife Sarah to lie for him. So I doubt that everybody was that trusting of strangers that meet young women by wells. When the same story is repeated to Bethuel and Laban, they still only have the servant's word for any of it. Now they're being asked by some stranger to let him take their very beautiful daughter and sister away from them to supposedly marry the son of a great uncle they haven't heard from in 50 years. To all you fathers, with daughters particularly, put yourself in their position if God's not in the story. Now, there is the possibility that they have heard from great-uncle Abraham. After all, news has recently reached Uncle Abraham that Nahor had 12 sons and a granddaughter. So they may have heard some stories about Uncle Abraham, but think about what those stories are. Firstly, how do you treat your wife? Well, for many, many years, Abraham had told his wife, just lie, say you're my sister, put your body on the line to save me, to keep me safe. Would that encourage you to send your daughter off with this man? And then there's a story about the battles that have been fought up and down through the land of Canaan as Abraham has gone to retrieve Lot and some of the possessions from the kings of the north. Actually only not too far to the south of where this story is now playing out. So maybe they'd heard those stories. And then there were stories about the family feud as... Sarah and Hagar and their two sons had turned on each other. This is the kind of family you want your daughter to marry into. And then, of course, they probably heard about those four towns, the bottom end of what's now, what later became the Dead Sea. Fire and brimstone fall from heaven, and Abraham and Lot are right in the middle of the story. And you're being asked by this man at the well, to send your daughter to marry into this family. So we've got three options. One is a guy from Damascus claims to work for your uncle and you don't know anything about him. Or possibly he does know your uncle, but you've not heard anything about your uncle for 50 years anyway. Or you have, and those stories are not encouraging. They're not the family stories that you'd hoped for For the young man that your precious, beautiful, single daughter is going to marry. And all because when he asked for a drink and she offered to give water to all the camels, he said, Oh, that was a sign from God. And if God's not in the story, that's madness. And even in the best-case scenario, for all of the wealth Uncle Abraham supposedly gathered, remember the only land he actually owns is this one field with a cave at the end of it, where he buried his late wife. Not great prospects, really. But God was in this. And we can only assume that Rebecca and Bethuel and Laban had a very, very clear sense or a clear understanding that God was in this. Not from what the servant said to them, but at least at the minimum a witness in their own spirit that this is God. Because as they hear the request, their initial response is, This is from the Lord we can say nothing to you one way or the other, here is Rebecca, take her and go. You see, the absolutely otherwise unthinkable becomes, yeah, take her and go the moment you realise that God is in it. It changes everything. Would you send your daughter otherwise? With all at stake, surely such a declaration can only mean that Laban and Bethuel had at least a strong witness in their own spirits that God was in this. They were certainly not in a hurry for Rebecca to leave. Initially they said take her and go, but having slept on it for the night when they got up the next morning, it's like, well, can she stay with us for ten days or so? And you can see it starting to pan out a little bit. For those of you who know the story, later on you understand that Laban's got a habit of stretching things out and delaying the inevitable. That's a story for another day. But God is in this. And it changes everything. That which is unthinkable otherwise, that is scary. You step into because you know that God is in it. What lay ahead for Rebecca and Isaac, that is a story we'll get to in due course, but The significance of Rebecca's obedience was the support and blessing of her father and her mother and her brother. The significance of this obedience cannot be understated. As we noted a couple of weeks ago that the servant was not sent to find a wife for my son Isaac. There was the woman that God had chosen. God had a very clear plan let her be the one that the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Not just any good-looking young girl who happens to come out and offer you a drink. But this was the chosen one. And as I noted a couple of Sundays ago, we are also the servants of the master, sent by the father himself to get a bride for his son. We're We're told to go and make disciples. And Jesus said he would build his church. And then in Ephesians he reveals, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. We are the Bride of Christ. And we are sent out to gather the rest of the Bride of Christ, to gather the rest of God's church. It's not some hit and miss journey to some random place. This is God's Holy Spirit is leading us and he goes before us. And he's equipped us and he's given us everything we need for the journey. And when God is in it, that changes everything. And all we need to do is listen and obey. As I read the story through, I found it significant that there are at least three people, we're told, in that family who believed it was of God. Bethel. Laban and Rebecca. I reflected on how important it is that when we think we have heard from God, when we think that God is calling us into one of these places, that we have others who will stand with us and seek God's will, to seek His plans and purposes. We're told in Matthew that if two or three on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three gather in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We talk. We've talked on Sundays. We've talked just on our website there. We talk about the cave. That's your time alone with God. But then we also talk about the table. And that may be a table with two or three others who will gather to stand with you and pray. See, even Jesus had the three, Peter, James, and John, who were with him in the hardest moments. And if Jesus needed three who would stand with him in those toughest moments, how much more do we? And I'm grateful for those who, over the last eight and a half years, have stood with me in some of those toughest moments when I've been trying to do what I believe God has called me here to do. But there's also the larger tables, the slightly bigger gatherings such as we have this morning. And in fact, it's a good number to work from this morning because the early church gathered in homes. And so it probably would have been about this number of people. And in one Corinthians four twenty six to thirty three, Paul writes of how the church should function in this house gathering. One Corinthians fourteen: What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together? Each of you should, each of you has a hymn, or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at the most should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and others should weigh up carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone, who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all of the congregations of the Lord's people. Martin Luther once said, we are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing towards it. The process is not yet finished. And that's true for us as individuals, but it's also true for us as a congregation. I have been asking God why those two passages come into this morning's message. But I've often said that our uh, intention as a congregation that we will never seek align the word of God with our experience but always work to align our experience with the word of God and that gets a little bit uncomfortable because what Paul described there for the way church should operate in this size gathering is kind of different from what we experience Ashley shared about God taking us into some new places beginning something new and fresh and that's been shared in a number of different ways God calls us into places, both in going out to bring in his bride, but also as we gather to worship him. God calls us into new and fresh places. For those of you who were here back in the days when the, back in I think it was the 70s when the elders first opened this church up to the working of the Holy Spirit, and I smiled as I read the book, because it's kind of funny when you look back now, but I could kind of relate Over a number of weeks, they had these eldership meetings where they discussed and debated how high you could raise your hands in worship. When we look back, it's funny. But at the time, this was deadly serious because God was calling this church into something that they had never been into before, to a place that they did not know. And it was scary and it was uncomfortable. But the decision of the elders then was, basically, I'll paraphrase it, If God's in it, then we're prepared to go. In fact, if God's not in it, then we're not going anywhere. And if God's in it, we're certainly not going to fight it. And so we need to become mature in our gathering around the larger table, and we need to gather at other times in groups of two and three and four to encourage one another to hear what God is saying And to encourage one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds. To hear God together and to step out together. To listen to God and to walk in obedience. To go where God is sending. It's easy to say, well, that's a good plan, we'll do that sometime. Don't just say, give us ten days or so. Not if God says now. Sometimes God says wait, and we wait. And we've been waiting for a fairly long time. But I believe the time is coming when God says now. What does that look like? I have no idea. Well, I have some idea, but I'm not really sure. Because God has taken me somewhere, like he took Rebecca, somewhere she had never been before, away from all that she was comfortable with, just as he had taken Abraham away from the place that he was familiar with, to a land that he would show him. In John 4, we have the story of another woman at another well. It's a Samaritan woman this time, and she comes out to the well that Isaac and Rebekah's son will dig. And Jesus is the man at the well. And he says to the disciples at the end of that story, he says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months more until harvest. And Jesus says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are white ripe for harvest. And that story, an immoral woman who is so disliked by the rest of the village that she is forced to come out to the well in the heat of the day to gather water from the well. And she becomes the catalyst for many in her village to come to faith. Our story probably won't unfold as quickly. And I'm not sure I see it quite as clearly. But I do know that God is calling us into a place that will leave some of us, if not most of us, a little uncomfortable. But remember, where God calls... And where he sends, God goes ahead, and God goes with. And so I'm reminded of Rebecca's response, and I pray this would be ours. They called her and said, will you go with this man? And her willing response is, I will go. Why? Because God is in it. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from The Chapel in Atatū. For more information about The Chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.